the immediate answer that everyone expects is, well, yeah, because I went to the Olympics and won. It's the assumption that that is worth anything. The problem I have with that is that not only do I carry two medals, but I also carry childhood trauma that I'm consistently dismantling and I don't believe I will stop dismantling until I'm a very wrinkly lady. That's Olympic gold medalist Lori Hernandez, and she's my guest on this episode of No Off Season. I'm Natalia Diane, a licensed social worker and a therapist. I work at Crisis Text Line, where we provide free, 24-7, high-quality text-based mental health support and crisis intervention. No Off Season is rooted in support, too. We're here to show those facing mental health challenges that they're not alone, and that there's strength in asking for help. We're sharing stories about mental health because it's a subject that impacts all of us. For Lori Hernandez, becoming a world-class athlete also meant experiencing depression and anxiety by the time she was 16. She'll tell us all about these changes to her mental health, why they happen and how she's worked on her own and with a therapist to heal. The way Lori shares her very personal story is brave, open, and vulnerable. She reminds us all that there is empowerment to be found even after the darkest of days. It's really, really, really an honor to be here with you. As a Latina myself, it has been just wonderful to witness your journey as a gymnast first and now as a mental health advocate and just bringing such an important representation to this space. But before mental health advocacy was part of your life, you were like this really eager, excited five-year-old girl who wanted to just tumble and become like a world-class gymnast, right? Can you talk about your earliest years in the sport when you were flying and tumbling and just look like magic and so much fun. Yeah, honestly, I just remember being five years old, watching gymnastics on TV and thinking how wonderful these like flips and tricks and all the things that these women were doing was. I I pointed to the screen and I was like, mom, I want to be just like them. I want to do what they do. And she's like, it's kind of random, but okay. <laughs> and so she put me in for my first gymnastics class and I just... I did fall in love with it right away. I had so much energy, clearly, still do. But then, you know, this is a high-level sport. Then the training started to focus more on maybe more impossible things like perfection and the high achievement and the pressure. Can you talk about when the training started turning into that for you? Yeah, I think when I turned 12 or 11, in 2012, I, I remember this vividly because it was a two-day competition. I was 11 on the first day and 12 years old on the second day. So 11 slash 12. And it was my first time that I had qualified to elite nationals as a junior. And I was so excited. I remember there being huge talk about how when Caitlin Ohashi had done her first elite nationals, that she made national team right away. And I think my coach had expected me to do something like that or of the sort. And I had fallen four and five times. I came in 22nd place out of 23 gymnasts. The last girl didn't do all four events. So technically I was dead last and I was just crying the entire time because I was so disappointed. And I had already seen, you know, that someone had done something better than me and we were competing together at the time. And my coach was like, 
I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, right, like, right. That's, you know, she she did it her first time. So, like, maybe you should work harder. And I was like, she's okay. And I just was so disappointed. It really, like, made that first experience of nationals hard. I didn't, it was my first time with all these big lights and putting the equipment on a podium so thousands of people could see just as well as I could. It was nerve wracking. But I do remember coming out of that and crying and my mom saying, like, listen, I know, I know you're disappointed. I know you're frustrated. I know you probably feel really discouraged right now, but there are so many little girls who would love to be competing right where you are today. So I think we should celebrate. Let's go get some ice cream. And she got me dipping Dots. Your mom has always been this voice of support and and reason in an environment that was so much high pressure and created this unrealistic expectations at times. Yeah. One of the best parts about my parents was the fact that they knew nothing about gymnastics. They did not know a single thing. They didn't try to learn a single thing. And it was the right thing to do because I would come home and explain things that I did and they were just always in awe. There was never a moment of criticism from my parents about what I was doing at practice because they had no idea what was right or wrong. So that was like, that was so important. If I felt pressure from them at home, I would have quit at like nine, you know? (laughs) So. Yeah. I've also read that the toll that the gym and, and your coach had on you, that you would feel like your heart racing at times, you had panic attacks, your eating became disorder. And your depression started at this time, right? So really, really a switch from what we were talking about before, this like fun environment to then a lot of different emotions coming up for you and different feelings. You know, at this point, you were a very young woman, an adolescent, just, you know, you were being mistreated by someone that you thought had your best interest in mind. So I'm wondering if you're willing to talk more about some of the changes you were feeling and seeing in yourself. What were the first signs that you were like, something's changing within me, right? After everything that's going on, my, my mental health is not as it used to be. Yeah. I think so. A big problem was that if I told my mom what was going on at practice and it was like, I would give her a sliver. I wouldn't give her the entire thing. Cause I think part of me at a young age knew that had she known she would have pulled me out. And I got really nervous about that because I just wanted to go to the Olympics. That was, I, I was willing to do anything for that. But I remember like if I had ever said, you know, Ma, she she she's yelling at me. And then I would just start crying and she was like, what is going on? And so she would call my coach and be like, hey, I don't know what's happening, but she's extremely emotional right now. Like she's crying. She said, you know, you yelled at her. You can't do that. I, if I can't talk to my kids like that, you surely cannot talk to my kids like that. Like and so my mom had kind of confronted and I went into practice the next day. And the first thing my coach said was your mom called me last night. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, and she was like, so if you want to like keep telling on what's happening at practice, that's fine. We'll just have everybody condition. And Mm -hmm. my entire team conditioned for like an hour and a half because she was just upset about it. So I never did that again because obviously it's now like, crushing my teammates do all this conditioning before we even start practice. And then she wonders why nobody can get their assignments done it's because all of our energy was spent on 
her annoyance at being confronted by something that was very wrong. So I took that as a 13 and 14 year old as, all right, well, we never tell mom what happens again. And then consistently for years, it was just practice was good. Practice was good. Yeah, it was hard, but it was fine. It was fine. Like things like that. And the, the hiding was where things started to get a little rough. That's mm-hmm. where, cause then it, you know, my lifeline, my mom, who I love so dearly became someone that I now had to hide things from. And I never did that. I had no reason to do that. She was always and is always my safe space. So I started doing that. I remember this moment so vividly of like waking up and like peeling myself off the bed almost and being like, oh God, I have to do this again. Like, I don't, I don't want to go today. And I remember my feet hitting the floor and I just started like sobbing just because I didn't want to go. I, you know, if you know, you're about to walk into an environment that's about to be awful for you, who would want to go? But also in my head, that's what I thought I had to do if I wanted to get to where I wanted to go, not realizing that there were other options. And if there were, I didn't know of them. In my eyes, I had it the best. (laughs) I knew that this is what my teammates and other people were enduring sometimes worse so I was kind of like dude you gotta just suck it up you know I don't know what's happening here but figure it out and I remember like like just bawling as I'm putting my leotard on and getting ready for practice and then getting yelled at and the thing that I was afraid of would happen over and over and over again and that was I mean third grade is a pretty young age and being there up until I was 16 I mean that's like that's a pretty long time to feel those things over and over again, but I thought it was normal. So I figured, you know, if you want the thing, you gotta go through rough patches. And in my head, that was the, that was the rough patch. Like, this is what they talk about when they say, you gotta want it. Right. You have to earn it. And and, you gotta earn it. And I was like, well, if I can do it with this much emotional turmoil, then I feel like that's earning it, you know, but I was, I was so wrong. I wish I'd known, you know, and it was like, you go to this, environment and you start telling someone else you start telling another coach and they're like well you know your coach has a point like you're making Mm. excuses this is what's happening or you know a lot of times it was like this is hurting and they're like well if you would just stop making up injuries I think you could just get so much farther and meanwhile it was like partially torn labrums or you know strains sprains fracture the works but it was right. like, if you would just, you know, if you just wanted it a little more, I really think you'd get a lot farther, kid. But you're making a lot of excuses. And I would just sob and be like, I don't know what anyone wants from me here. Right. Of course. At that time, were there other conversations with your peers? Were there conversations of support about what was happening in the gym? The thing is, I trained in a group of three. Mm. <laughs> So it wasn't very many to begin with. We were all the same age. So all of us were kind of like, all right, this is just how it's going to go today. And like our team was known for going in and dominating competitions. So clearly something was working in our heads. You know, we were like, well, we can't be the ones to mess it up because we're going in and winning all the time. Something's something's happening here. So we were all kind of like, well, I guess this is just how it goes. Kind of sucks, but whatever. (laughs) And not thinking much of it, you know, but I remember there was one time where like 
if I would get yelled at, I would immediately just start crying. I would try not to, but it just, I, I couldn't help it. And I remember watching one of my teammates get ripped a new one. Like just my coach was yelling so loud and my teammate was just standing there like staring at her. And I was like, Oh my God, what a rebel. Like <laughs> she's just staring at her. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I should try to do that, you know? And then I did it and it wrong move, wrong move because <laughs> it became like, what's so suddenly you don't care now. Like if, right. if you cared, you would show me something like, if you cared, you would be frustrated. You would be angry with yourself if you wanted better. Like that's, you clearly just don't care right now. You know what? Like go upstairs or like get out. I don't care. Do something. Like there came a point where I just listened was like, this is insane. There's got, there's gotta be some threshold that like, this is not okay. Like, I don't know where. And I just remember thinking like, I don't feel good when this happens and it happens all the time. I just feel awful. I love how, at such a young age, you had so much wisdom. Like you didn't know different because you didn't see different. This is the this is what you knew. But something inside of you, you knew that this was not right, right? You knew there must be another way. And like, there's so many people who are like, oh, well, obviously that culture needs to exist because look at how high of a level it's gotten everyone to people who have reported like abusive coaching, whether it's emotional, verbal, whatever version, like, oh, look at their level of gymnastics. And it's like, We've never tested long enough a proper healthy environment for gymnasts to say whether or not this actually works. Right. And I wonder yeah. how much farther I would have gotten had I not taken six months, a year off for injuries that could have been prevented. So we're talking about all this that was happening to you and it was really, really hard. And then, you know, but in Rio, the games at Rio, you still won two medals at 16 years old. That is incredible of what you've accomplished in the face of everything that you had been going through that no one, you know, really knew about at this time because you were keeping it to yourself, carrying it by yourself, which again, it's another huge load. What did this mean for you and your mental health at this time to win these uh, medals? What does it mean after everything you went through to be at Rio and win? You know, it was a huge moment of relief. Like I remember mm. bending down to get the medal put on. And I was like, oh, thank God, <laughs> this was awful. <laughs> like whew, sweat off the brow. Like yeah. I'm really glad that worked out because that would have sucked, you know? And then I look at my teammates and my peers and my friends and the people who have gone through things that when I was growing up, I believed to be way worse than what I was going through, even though what I was going through was the worst that I had experienced. Like, I have seen those girls, I've seen them persevere even with awful environments that they had been in and still not make the team. And that is such a hard feeling. So when I say relief, it's not just, well, I'm glad my hard work paid off. It was like, well, I'm glad I got something out of that. Cause like right. it felt, yeah, it just, re relief is like the biggest thing. But it also goes back to like, I know people, I'm my own friends who, didn't qualify and carry this feeling of like it was not worth it at all and they almost almost every single one of them will be like yeah it wasn't worth it I just right. yeah you know because it's this idea that you're going to receive something at the end and like ha like if I had known that 
you know, I would have to go through something like that again, or I could pick a different environment and not be sure if it's going to work. I would quickly pick the other environment and not everybody would do that. I'm well aware of that. I know that it's all like up to our tolerance and the things that we can and cannot handle. And I know that I could not handle something like that in general, nonetheless, again. And I'm wondering when you say like this sense of relief, it was worth it because I'm I, at least I got something out of it. Was there also a sense of relief of for others, right? At least, you know, I'm satisfying others. This is what they wanted. And for me, it's worth it. So that's one of like the philosophical hardest questions I've ever gotten. And I will still never truly give an answer for it of like, was it worth it? <laughs> yeah. Because the immediate answer that everyone expects is, well, yeah, because I went to the Olympics and won. It's the assumption that that is worth anything. The problem I have with that is that not only do I carry two medals, but I also carry childhood trauma that I'm consistently dismantling. And I don't believe I will stop dismantling until I'm a very wrinkly lady. It's such a bold decision of you to say, I'm going to step out of it. Like, yes, thank you. And I'm going to step out of this because I need to take care of myself and I need a break from something that also was really central to your identity, right? Which is being a gymnast. I'm assuming most of your life you identified with that. And it's like taking a break from that identity. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like to make that decision? How do you, how does a decision like that happen in, in, in your world, Lori? Yeah. I mean, I think I was so tired of doing things that somebody else wanted that I was like, all right, I'm going to do everything that I want for the rest of my life now. Thanks. It sounds like then, you know, you, you spend this time with this break, sort of like also first dismantling this trauma or at least starting to, right? Right. Starting to, because it's like, it's a long process, right? And and for everyone is different, right? And And even the presentation of like how depression looks like for different people is different, right? You know? Yeah, and that's another oh, that thing. Affects. Like, depression yeah. in itself is always looked at as either, like, you cannot get out of bed, you can't do anything, which is correct. I'm not saying that's not correct, and I have felt those things before. It is definitely correct to, like, title depression in that way. But it was such high-functioning depression of, like, like, I'm depressed, I can't get out of bed, but my anxiety of missing this carpool ride with my coach is much higher than me not being able to get up. I don't really have a choice. And like, if anybody's like, oh, well, you had a choice. No, I did not. Mm -mm. No, I did not. (laughs) Like, I don't care what anyone says. I did not have a choice. Like I was showing up and I was doing the thing because my fear of being reprimanded was much higher than my innate, like need to sit in the same place for 12 hours. Like, Right. It somehow overrode that. So depression can look like many things. It's really, yeah. you know, they say depression and anxiety always go hand in hand. That was peak me growing up. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's so important that people speak up about their experiences and, and there is a different view of what depression, anxiety, all these can look like, right? Because there is this idea of like, well, you're depressed, you can't do anything. Like if you're going to work or if you're going to train you can't be depressed because you're doing things you're moving or you can even have a smile on your face right you can be smiling and and be at a party and still feel depressed 
Exactly. There is such a wide spectrum for what depression can and does look like. And it's, you know, it's so many things and it's also not so many things. Like it's the range crossing from like me having a binge eating disorder after the games, Mm -hmm. you know, and everyone just kind of being like, all right. And it was like, oh, it turns out that was major depression. Like it was me searching for any literal crumb of serotonin that I could find because I wasn't getting it. Like it was me dealing with all the weight comments. And even, you know, we were in 2016 told that we couldn't have carbs. So I lost a ton of weight and my coach was Mm. still like, you know, I'm really nervous about her gaining weight. Like, I just don't know what to do, you know, panicking about all this stuff. And I was the thinnest I had ever been like public figure slash I, everyone being like, oh, this was the best shape of your life. This is Olympic shape. And I was like, I was prepubescent, not eating (laughs) at the Olympics. Like that was not the best shape Mm -hmm. of my life. If anything, that was probably the, I was the least healthy that I could have been there. And that was deemed as like what I should be looking like. And so gaining all this weight in the public eye and then everybody being like, huh, she's changed. I, I would love to hear more about how you approach working on your mental health during that time. So finding the right therapist, I know this sounds crazy, but trusting your gut, like, like when you sit down in that chair If you don't feel, I am not someone who can just share everything in the first session when we meet. Like if you feel that in a couple of weeks, you wouldn't be able to share things with this person. There's something that's off that you don't like. Even if you're a year in, it's okay to change. It is their job to make sure that you are comfortable. Like it's also, if you like them, but something's off, it's okay to mention that you want things to be handled differently to them. Like their entire job is to make sure that you are okay. And that they can guide you. They can't fix anything for you, but they're going to guide you to where you can go and, and fix things as best possible. And when I found the right therapist and it took me a couple tries, um, when I found the right therapist, it was literally life-changing. It's someone who like someone who can listen, but also like for me, I want insight. I want someone to break Mm -hmm. it down and be like, why did you say that? Like this keeps coming up in conversation. Why? And me not even realizing that it's an issue. Therapy was so important for that. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Like finding there are bad therapists. There are good therapists. It's like just like any other job out there, right? But um yeah. you but are it's in such a vulnerable. It. It's worth yes. sitting worth tight, buckling down for a couple months and finding the right one if you have the means to do that. Like I cannot begin to express like it, it changed my life, probably saved it going to therapy because you have someone who is a dedicated time and space to vent and to pull apart the things that we ourselves cannot do because we're too close. We're in the situation, having someone whose job it is to oversee, to understand how to respond to care in that way, you know, in a very respectful professional way, like 
yeah, you may be paying someone to share your feelings, but it is their job. And it is a wonderful thing to go through something in the week and be like, you know what? I'm not going to pull this apart right now. I'm going to pull this apart at 11 a.m. on Tuesday with Christina. Like, <laughs> like and you have a yes. place for all the things that happen. It's just, I could go on and on about how wonderful therapy is and how important oh. it was, you know? As a therapist myself, it just makes me really, really happy to hear that you put in the effort, right, to find the right person, because it is so important, trusting your gut, and then continuing that journey of like finding someone until you 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 feel that what you have now, which is really magical, right, having that therapist kind relationship where you feel safe, you feel secure, you feel like you can open up and, and be vulnerable. Yeah, and it was like, God, I could talk about this forever. Like <laughs> this therapist that I had, I, I, I'm not with her anymore because she's licensed in California, which is where I was living. And so I just moved to Brooklyn and I was, and she was like, yeah, we got to close it off. And I was like, I yeah. know, <laughs> but like handling the things that I deemed as small or stupid with weight, like mm. taking those things and like, I didn't realize that I am a person who takes my problems and holds them with such care to the point of not sharing them with other people, because I believe that they're going to be handled in the way that they should not be handled. I believe like I care about my problems. <laughs> I value who sees them and how they are touched and messed with. And yeah. if I believe that it's not going to be cared for in the way that I think, then I'm not sharing it. And that's not a very healthy thing. So that you said that the longer you keep something to yourself, the heavier it gets. And how you have realized that by speaking with others, you can share the heaviness that you don't have to carry it alone. And I think this, where you're talking about like talking with a therapist and having that space of, of you know, not having to carry that by yourself for so long. I think that should, that it's so, so important for people to understand. Because I think that there's a lot of times where people think about, well, what would happen if I share? They can't fix my problem, right? But it's not about fixing that problem. It's about sharing that heaviness. Yeah. And that's like a big thing, especially like super random, but like having a partner and having someone that you care about yeah. there, you know, was this fear for both of us of like, if I share this thing, that's very heavy, it feels like I'm putting it onto you. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. I feel because that feels like a burden that feels like I'm putting it. And I just remember being like, no, 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 it's not being put onto me. You are placing it in front of both of us so we can look at it together. And I was like, cool, I'm done. That was really nice. Like, <laughs> but that's exactly what therapy is. It's like, yes. you know, this thing where it's not going to get fixed, but you can at least look at it and see it. And you have two points of opinions and someone who has the perspective of the other side and is looking right. at this thing with you. And I remember like the therapist that I had before my most recent one who I loved very much. She was also like, like really wonderful. And I remember at the beginning of our sessions, her saying like, you know, you can, you can bring all these heavy things for me. And then when we're done with our session, you can leave them here and pick them back up next week when you come back. And I was like, Oh yeah. And I was like, so you mean I don't have to carry this with me 24 seven because I I value these things as much as they suck. They're important to me. And like, I care about how they're being handled. And she was like, you can leave them here. I will hold them until you're like, until you come back for our next session. 
I appreciate you you saying that and and you know you're you're working on yourself constantly obviously right because this is a journey and and at the same time you're still fighting you're fighting for the sport you're fighting so other young gymnasts never get hurt again right you're still you're being very vocal about all of this so what helps you to continue this fight right therapy is something that helps you is there anything else that you need to do what is your your regimen your mental health routine these days to help you in this fight yeah I think the big one I know self-care is something that's like very trendy right now and it's seen mm. as like taking a break and taking a bath and doing your nails which is wonderful and those are self-care things but the thing that I feel that no one's talked about that has been a really big one is that sometimes self-care is hard yes and that sometimes I need to peel myself off of the couch and go for a walk because it's what is needed and sometimes I don't because I just can't but the point is that like like that is not an easy thing for me I know it sounds like it should be but it's just not to get up and go outside and go for a walk because I should probably get some fresh air and pass by another human being that I don't know like stuff like that is important setting reminders for when you're supposed to eat because if you're like me you forget literally just forget and then get grumpy and don't feel good only to realize that you've skipped breakfast and lunch and all of the things like self-care is meal prepping if need be because you want to make sure that you're eating self-care is you know maybe scheduling a time where you call and you check in with people and you just connect with another human being especially if you're living by yourself like even if you don't want to do that sometimes it's really good to do that (laughs) you know so like it's not always easy it looks very different for everyone so so I want to bring us back to you know you took that break and after that break in gymnastics you started training again uh, with intention of competing in your second summer games in Tokyo and I'm wondering, you know, what did it feel like to train intensely again? But now having this new mental health awareness, this work that you have been doing, dismantling all these issues, all this trauma that you have been through. Yeah, I was triggered a lot coming back. And my coaches, thankfully, were very sensitive to that. I remember when I tried out, I had about three days to come in. I had an old teammate who had trained in the, you know, my old gym with me and her parents moved to California. They went to this gym and were like, you should come check it out. So I came, I watched, I partook in practice a little bit. And I just remember looking at her, her name's Emily. She's a dear friend of mine, practically family. I carpooled with her a lot growing up. And I remember being like, so when is it coming? And she was like, when is what coming? I was like, when are they going to start yelling? Like they haven't mm-hmm. done it all day. They've been quiet. Like it's coming. You, It's coming. And she was like, no, they just don't really do that. I mean, like they do, but usually if it's like a health or safety issue, like it's not. And I was like, no, 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 it's coming. And you're lying. Right. And then I practically sat there waiting for it to happen. And by the end of the day, I ended up going to the bathroom and sobbing out of like, I wish it would just happen already so I could get it over with, know when it's coming and then prep for it the next time around, which is the most trauma response of trauma that I could think of is prepping for when the yes. bad thing is coming, like the, the predictability. Yeah. Yes. So, and I mean, sometimes I still get stuck in that brain, but that was like, okay, 
maybe this place is a good thing. Like, maybe I'm not supposed to be getting yelled at within the first workout. And there were times where I would go and I would do a skill and it would be bad and I would fall. And then I would get up and do it again and I would fall. And then I would get up and do it again and I would fall. And I would just like, like get up and they'd be giving me a correction and I wouldn't look at them because I thought that if I had looked, that was what was gonna do it. Right. And I remember my one coach being like, what, like, why are you looking at me? And I just like looked up and immediately started sobbing. And then I go and I do this skill again. And I was just like, can you just yell at me already? They were like, we're not going to yell at you. What is it with the, like, uh, so that was the entire comeback in a nutshell of like, just lots of undoing. I would love to hear about your mental health goals and about your purpose going forward as an athlete or as you know somebody that's like has this platform now and it's like reaching so many people yeah what are your 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 goals yeah I, a big one so i am clearly deemed as like the happy go lucky positive golden retriever human being just my entire being yeah. <laughs> it was what was nicknamed to me as a 16 year old as like this beacon of positivity. And that became a thing that I felt I had to uphold and upkeep. Mm -hmm. And even in the household that I grew up in, you know, my mom just wanted to see me and my siblings happy, but in turn, happiness is unsustainable. And I wish someone had told me that it was a conversation that she and I had had, which was like, I just can't be happy all the time. I can't do it. <laughs> it's not, it's not sustainable. It's not possible. Like, and then there's this feeling of, well, what can I do? Because, you know, I, I could be in a constant pursuit of joy and happiness if I want, but is that fulfilling and does that feel good? Because then by the time happiness comes, I know it's going to go away and then I'm going to be looking for it again. And that just feels like an endless pursuit of something that is not, not that it's not worth it, but it's just exhausting. And I was like, there's got to be something else. And so like my mental health goals have been, creating an environment that is peaceful and mm. that is that like my entire goal all the time rather than it used to be like being happy and being positive and being this raging optimist as wonderful as that is and it will come in spurts and I love when it comes because I know that it's coming at its own accord I'm I can create my own happiness but like to just allow it to be free and be like any other emotion where it just pops up when it wants it comes up more often because there's no pressure to feel those things whereas now it's like okay we're just gonna go and try and feel peace as often as possible like I'm going to just make sure that I'm creating an environment and a space and a living room and a refrigerator that evokes the things that make me feel calm and peaceful and level-headed because that is sustainable. And that is my foundation. That's my, that's my even ground when things are getting crazy is I'm not going to look for being happy when I'm scared. I'm going to look for peace. I'm not going to look for being happy when I'm angry. I'm going to look for peace. Like, I'm not going to look for more happiness when I'm happy. I'm still going to look for peace in that. That was Lori Hernandez. Please come back next week when my co-host, Dr. Shairi Turner, sits down with Olympic shot putter Raven Saunders to talk about the challenges of fame and loneliness, developing the strength to protect her family, and the text message that saved Raven's life. If you would like to connect with Crisis Text Lines, community of trained volunteer crisis counselors in the United States, please text the word STRONG to 741741. 
It's private, free, and available 24-7. Crisis Text Line is proud to partner with Nike, and we're always here to support people in their moment of need. It's brave to reach out. This has been no off-season. I'm Natalia Diane. The information and opinions provided on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to speak with your doctor for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.